This is Cabernet and True Crime, a place where good wine and true crime come together. Hello, friends, and welcome to COVID-19 quarantine. <laughs> um, well, not yet, anyways. We are currently, well, I'm not currently quarantined, um, I am off today, though. Happy St. Patrick's Day as well. Hopefully you're taking this time to um, stay safe and stay away from other people, which nobody has ever had to, you know, stress for me. That's like my natural state of being, is being away from other people. (laughs) Um, If you saw my Instagram story, I did post a Forensic Files drinking game. So if you really want to get turn up St. Patrick's Day style, but also live inside the comfort of your home and not see anybody else, I might be playing that later. We'll see what happens. Um, I am off today, not because of St. Patrick's Day or because of coronavirus, all strangely non-related. Um, I have to get dental work done today. So I'm doing this this morning. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Live, live coming at you. Um, yeah, I have to go get a tooth, a tooth implant done. So, um, even though I called yesterday to just reconfirm that my appointment was still a thing, because apparently some general of dentistry was like, no elective procedures, but I, you know, my dentist's office said I was still on as long as I passed a temperature screening, so I do not feel fevered. It's fine. I do hope that everybody got, um, you know, the supplies they need and are really just ready to bunker down. I know this may seem extreme, but it's better than not taking the right precautions, right? Like, I'd rather be extreme in the front end and very, like, diligent and shut everything down, everybody lay low for a while, and hopefully by, you know, doing that, we avoid something awful, right? So I'd rather be over-extreme in the front end than regret not doing more in the back end, right? Um, so yeah, just, you know, support, because I know in Ohio at least, restaurants, bars, everything's closed, doing takeout only, um, and we're not quarantined yet, but I don't think that's too far off in the future. This is, I mean, I've been checking my work email today, and just even since since I woke up, we've gone from um, the first shift, second shift schedule, to a split day where you work half your day from home, to a you're not even coming in on Thursday to see what it would be like if everybody worked from home. So it's, this situation, I mean, is is literally changing by the minute. So um, stay safe, stay healthy don't talk to other people. Well, talk to other people, but not in person. Just be smart about what you're doing. And that's all I have to say about the coronavirus, and I hope all of you are healthy. Um, today, I... Listen, I'm really hoping that I can just really get my shit together, right? I have a lot of really good ideas for the website and for the the podcast and the blog and all these things. It's just I need the time to do it, right? It's like ideas are fun and fine and in theory because they are theories, but execution is really what needs to be done. Uh, so I haven't executed any of these plans yet, but my goal is to eventually. Guess who just scared the shit out of me and joined the podcast closet? Hi, kidders. Thank you. Okay, so we have a we have a guest today. Hi, Neens. Do you want to say hi? No. She just wants to stomp around. She doesn't usually come into the closet, so I saw something moving outside the door, and I was like, "What the fuck?" And it's my cat. So, so she's in here now. We'll see how long this lasts for, because she's already trying to escape. 
I don't know what's going on. Sorry, I keep pausing this because she's just causing a ruckus. She's jammed her... Okay. Yeah, you don't fit in there, little girl. That's not where cats go. Hi. Would you like to come out? She just wedged herself between an old box and the wall, but it, she might be stuck. She's purring really loud. She seems... Con content, I'll say that seems to be the word. Okay, well, if you want to stay, that's fine, but don't interrupt me, kidder, so you can stay. Be good. That's, no, then that, that's not being good. <laughs> that's just a whole bunch of necklaces you want to play with, and that's not going to happen, sweet girl. Okay, so let's get started. Um, we'll see once again. I might be pausing again soon because she's very distracting. Um, so today we're going to be talking about Melvin Reese, whom I had never heard of. So I love finding these when I get to be like, wow, I never heard of this person before. Um, it's always an interesting time. So Melvin David Reese was born in 1933 in Maryland. He attended the University of Maryland, which I'll um, call later UMD because it's just, well, I guess University of Maryland isn't really that much of a mouthful, but UMD sounds nicer, um, which is just outside of Washington, D.C. He was a known, talented musician known for playing the saxophone, piano, and clarinet. He never graduated from UMD, and a lot of people thought he dropped out to pursue a musical career um, because he spent a lot of time scuttling around the D.C. area playing jazz clubs. So he was really talented, and people didn't think it was weird when he dropped out of school, which it might not have been at the time. Um, so he lived a pretty quiet life. Not much is known about his home life, his family life, um, what he did during this time. Um, but in 1955, he was arrested for assaulting a 36-year-old woman. Um, Melvin had attempted to shove the woman into his car, but she was able to get away. Um, she escaped, but never pressed charges, so the case was dropped. So he never, nothing ever happened to him for that. But he was arrested. Um, so on June 26th, 1957, two years later. So we see the escalation here. Um, a woman named Margaret Harold and her boyfriend, who was a U.S. Army sergeant, um, he was on leave, were driving near Annapolis, Maryland. So Melvin Reese forced them off the road in his Chrysler, and after they stopped, he forced them out of the car with his gun and demanded cigarettes and money. And when Margaret Harold refused to give Melvin what he wanted, he shot her point blank in the face. So... Um, which seems a little extreme, right? But that's what happened. Um, her boyfriend ran to a distant rural farmhouse and was able to make a phone call to the police. Uh, police made it to the crime scene. Obviously, they were too late to catch um, Melvin Reese, but they found that Margaret Harold had all of her clothing removed and that she'd been sexually assaulted by Reese. Police searched the surrounding area for more evidence and found a rundown shed that had obviously been broken into. And I don't know if shed's the right word, but they described it as like this small cinder block structure. I don't know what that means, but I'm calling it a shed. Um, so apparently it had obviously been broken into and they found porn images and autopsy photos, autopsy photos of females taped all over the walls. Also inside was a yearbook picture, and the picture was of a girl named Wanda Tipton, who had graduated from UMD in 1945. Margaret Harold's boyfriend had managed to get a good look at her killer and described him as a tall, dark-haired man, and that's kind of where it, it ended. Um, using the descriptions and the clues in the shed, police located Wanda Tipton, but she didn't know of anyone that had fit that description, and the lead ultimately wasn't very useful. Margaret Harold's murder case went cold. Two years go by, and everything's pretty quiet. Um, you know, they never solved the murder of Margaret Harold, 
but nothing else really is kind of happening. So that's about to change, though. On January 11th, 1959, Melvin appeared again. The Jackson family, which um, included Carol, Mildred, and their two infant daughters, Susan and Janet, um, disappeared. What was especially mystifying about their disappearance was that, that the family, like all things considered, was normal and they didn't have any enemies and there was no particular reason to go missing. Um, the Jacksons had been at a family reunion and a relative who had also been at the reunion found Carol Jackson's abandoned car on the side of the road. And I think it was his aunt, um, if I do remember correctly, she called the police, but they found no sign of a struggle. It appeared that the Jacksons literally just vanished. So their car was just on the side of the road. There was nothing to indicate that they had been taken, nothing to indicate that any foul play had been going on. It just like this family of four just completely vanished. And that was it. They didn't really know what had happened to them. It was really hard to, de to determine because they, they really left no evidence of what happened to them. So on March 4th, almost two months later, the decomposing body of Carol Jackson was found in a ditch in Fredericksburg, Virginia, which is about 45 miles away from where he and his family had gone missing from, I think. I was really trying, uh, yeah. I wrote that, I'm like 99% sure. Um, he had t had his hands tied behind his back and he was shot in the head. Um, when police arrived and moved the body, they found the body of 18-month-old Janet Jackson underneath him, in which, for the record, it, this she wasn't named after the pop legend. Um, she, the, yeah, this happened on March, on March 4th. Well, she was born well before that, but Janet Jackson was born on May 16th, 1966. So just so, I, I know it's a bad place to put this, but the name association, Janet Jackson was not named after Janet Jackson. Got it? Um, so she was found underneath uh, the body of her father. And the really, really heartbreaking thing is that autopsy showed that Janet had been alive when she was left in the ditch, but she suffocated from the weight of her father um, after he was dumped on top of her. And three weeks later, on March 21st, the bodies of Mildred and Susan, who was four, were found uh, near Annapolis. They had signs of torture and sexual assault. Um, and yeah, they were found near Annapolis. So, th this is going to be an interesting thing in a second here. But uh, before the bodies were found, a couple went to police to describe a horrific experience that had also happened to them on January 11th, the same day the Jacksons had gone missing. The couple said they'd been driving their car when a man drove up behind them and forced them off the road. He approached their car, and he got close enough for them to get a good look, and they described him, once again, as a tall, dark-haired man. But they were able to reverse their car and get away before any damage was done to them. Because this was in the same area of where the Jacksons went missing, police were a little bit suspicious that, you know, maybe um, th these two crimes were related. So... It, it ultimately was determined that they had been run off the road by Melvin Reese and ordered at gunpoint into his Chevy, into the trunk of his Chevy. So after the bodies of Susan and Mildred were found, investigators found a shed, which was assumed to be the same shed that the police found during the murder of Margaret Harold. Um, inside the shed, they found the same horrific pictures taped along the walls, but they also found something so much more important, and that was a red button that was missing from Mildred's dress. There were also fresh tire marks near the shed, 
and thanks to the shed and other evidence, the two cases were put together, and it was determined that all five murders were most likely committed by one person. So, this is a weird little sidebar, but I thought it was uh, interesting. The cases got a lot of notoriety due to a psychic, and I'm using air, air quotes there, named Peter Herkos. Um, he went to the Jackson's gravesite, handled their possessions, and allegedly described the bodies as they had been found correctly, which I don't know how he would have known that. I'll give him that credit. Listen, kidders, if you're going to be in here, you cannot be screaming, okay? It's really hard to pause this while you're doing that and not be interrupting, so shh. Okay, that understood? Can you handle that? Sorry. She wanted ba- she wanted out and she wanted back in and now she's back in and now she won't stop yelling and she's trying to eat my earrings so I'm sorry that I keep getting distracted during this podcast. This is why animals aren't allowed in the podcast closet. That's all I'll say. Okay. So, Peter Herkos, the psychic, air quotes again, he, yeah, was able, I don't know how this guy got into this in, at all. I don't know why anybody was like, yeah, let this dude in. Um, he agreed with the police's theory that Margaret Harold and the Jacksons had been killed by the same person. Yeah. (laughs) I'm assuming there might have been some press coverage on this, so maybe that's why he was able to, like, and maybe he just got, like, lucky guessing the the positioning of the bodies. I have no idea. Or maybe he had an in. I don't know. It was a weird time in the world, you know, a million years ago. Not a million. (laughs) It's not a million years ago. But, you know, people were weird, and that's life. So, uh, yeah. Somehow this dude was like, yeah, I totally agree with you. I can um, solve the murder in two weeks. And he said that the killer could be indicted for nine total murders. Okay. So he led the police to a trash collector who confessed to the murders, which I don't know why you would do if you... I don't know. I've seen some documentaries, so maybe I do know why you would do that even if you knew you didn't do it. But that's... Whatever. Um, So that person was ultimately cleared because of the capture of Melvin, thank goodness, and Peter Ghost <clears throat> became a laughing stock by the local newspapers. So that's what you get when you make bold statements. Um, the real big break in the case comes from uh, some source information, which I found fascinating. So Glenn Moser, or Moser, I'm calling him Glenn Moser because that's what I read in my head. Shut up. Um, he was initially an anonymous source, and he was good-ish friends with Melvin Reese. He said they would hang out and have philosophical conversations. You know, just two dudes drinking beers, getting high, talking about life and what it means. Um, Glenn said that during one of these conversations, while Reese was high on amphetamines, told Glenn that he considered murder to be another part of the, quote, human experience, and that, quote, you can't say it's wrong to kill, only individual standards make it right or wrong. That's not, that's not how that works. Um, murder is bad. So, <laughs> Melvin clearly had a weird skewed opinion on, like, how these things worked. So, I say that's really good on you, Mr. Moser, for, um, thinking that was really a crazy statement and uh, turning on your friend because he, I mean, I would too, I think if one of my best friends, or I don't know if they were best friends or what, but if one of my friends was like, oh yeah, no, I'm totally into like, human life is irrelevant and you should be able to kill because it's part of the human experience. I'd be like, "Mm, you're, nope, that's not how that works. Um, Okay. So the conversation happened on January 10th 
and on January 11th, when the Jacksons went missing, Glenn Moser was concerned that his friend may have been involved. So Glenn confronted Melvin about it, and although Melvin didn't confess, he didn't really deny responsibility either. In his letter to police, Glenn also voiced his concerns that Melvin took part in Margaret Harold's murder. Using this lead, police went to find Melvin. He had moved and left no forwarding address. They looked for Melvin at jazz clubs but couldn't find him there either. They found out that he had attended but never graduated from UMD, but it explained the connection to Wanda Tipton. Melvin Reese had dated her. In 1960, Glenn Moser came forward to tell authorities where Melvin was. He was employed at the store in West Memphis, Arkansas, and after Melvin was arrested, he was positively ID'd by Margaret Harold's boyfriend. Good on you, Glenn, because I'm assuming some, um, the, the details in there are so sketchy. There's not a lot of information, but from my understanding, um, Glenn must have reached out to Melvin and gotten, or Melvin reached out to Glenn, and then Glenn just turned on him and told the authorities where he was. Um, so Melvin Reese was convicted by Maryland for Margaret Harold's murder. He was sentenced to life in prison. Virginia tacked on a death sentence for the Jackson murders, but that was commuted to a life sentence in 1972. Um, while he was in prison, Melvin Reese was diagnosed as a schizophrenic. He also at some time acquired a wife named Pat Root. I don't know where she comes into the picture, but he was married at some point. I don't know if that was pre-prison, post-prison, or while he was on the run. Hard to tell. Um, in 1985, Reese apparently told a reporter that he killed two other people in 1956. Um, a woman named Shelby Venable and Mary Fellers. Um, those were never confirmed nor denied and he was suspected of several other murders but was never brought to charges for them and uh, Melvin Reese died of natural causes in prison in 1995 and that is the story of Melvin Reese he had a nickname but at this point in time I don't remember what it is let me google it how could I forget that oh my goodness he was called the sex beast ew (laughs) how do you forget that Okay, well, that was his nickname. Ew. Um, And this says he was born on... Well, nobody knows the exact date of his birth, but this says 1928, and I've read 1933. Hard to tell. I I don't know if it really matters. It doesn't really matter. Um, And that, that's that's what I got. That's what I have for you guys. So, like I said in the beginning, stay safe. Just, you know live live your life in solitude right become the phantom of the opera put on a half mask and crawl down to your dungeon and just stay there for a couple days until all this blows over so with that have a great have a great day you guys right